Welcome back to America's leading higher education podcast network, the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. This is EdUp Edge, the STEM edition, committed to bringing you great conversations with some of the most talented minds. I'm your host, Dr. Tamonte Leary. I am so excited to have a friend and colleague today as my guest, Dr. Kilan Asad, Asad Bishop. Um, how are you doing, Kilan, today? I'm great. I'm wonderful. Good morning. Happy to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So as you know, um, we're the Ed Up Edge STEM podcast. Super, super excited to have you here. And you, my friend, have a very, very impressive resume and background. Um, really, you can kind of start wherever you want to as far as your journey and your personal story. Um, I do know, you know, based off of our conversations and just kind of based off of your, uh, you know, your, your, your profile, your background, that you're a biology major, that you, you, you went to an HBCU. Um, can you share uh, a little bit about what sparked your interest in biology as a youth? And also, um, I believe Morgan State University is an HBCU, so we'd love to hear more about your experience uh, attending uh, the HBCU experience, I should say. Absolutely. So let's start at what attracted me to biology. So I was a very curious child. Um, what I mean by that is I was poking around trying to understand everything. I always had questions, comments, and concerns. Um, and I you know, feel lucky, feel privileged to have had a family that really encouraged that interest. And you know, really what that meant was that when I would ask questions, when I wanted to know something, you know, often, Kids are told to, you know, stay in their place, stay quiet and things like that. I didn't actually have those. Uh, I didn't actually have those kind of barriers um, to developing my interests and my understanding of, of the world. That's not to say that I didn't get in trouble and wasn't disciplined accordingly, <laughs> but. Nobody's you know, perfect, right? <laughs> nobody, nobody's perfect, but. Um, you know, when I would go outside and pick up bugs and try and bring them back in the house, you know, it was like, I appreciate the way that you feel about this. And this is also the way that I feel. And this is my house. And so um, I was, I was drawn to science, math, you know, pretty early, just as like a natural interest and just, you know, thinking of the things that I was good at, the things that I excelled at in school, those were it. But when I went off to college, um, I had this intention to have better treatments for diseases. Um, and it seemed like biology was a good place to start, understanding the human body and how it worked. Actually, slightly, uh, I almost took a slight detour and became a biomedical engineering major because when I described my interests, that's where Morgan wanted to put me. And they have an amazing engineering program, but I was like, oh no, no, I Googled biomedical engineering and said, that is not actually for me. We're gonna go, you know, straight biology for now. And I decided to pursue that. 
Um, in particular, though, I can recall one moment where, you know, I was like, biology is it. And it was, I was in high school. So my biology teacher did a chemistry experiment, but, you know, the messenger matters a lot. Basically, she popped a helium-filled balloon, and when helium comes in contact with air, it spontaneously combusts. And so there was a brief moment of fire. That was the moment where I said, oh, this is cool, and I want to do this. Like I oh, said- Oh, wow. So that was literally the spark, right? <laughs> that was, it was, so the spark, the spark had happened, right? When I was younger, like I knew I was going to pursue science, right. like I knew generally maybe- that it was like biology, but you know, you can pursue a bunch of things and like end up get being a doctor, being a scientist. But because my biology teacher did that experiment, I was like, well, I guess we're gonna be a biology major. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, does she know, did, your, did, did your teacher know like how, how incredible that moment was for you uh, as far as like, yeah, okay. So we are <laughs> not in touch um, right now or, you know, just like I left California and we right. did not maintain contact, but it is my hope that, you know, one day <laughs> yeah. uh, we resume contact and uh, I can share with her just, you know, how her being innovative in the classroom really did work, right? And really did catch my eye. Yeah, so, and, and speaking of innovation uh, in the classroom, um, what, what are your, what are your, I guess, what are your thoughts there when it comes to, um, you know, STEM, science, uh, education, you know, di different innovative ways or, you know, how, how are you seeing um, the, the discipline kind of uh, evolve if, if, if any ways when it comes to, you know, different, different innovate, innovative ways to, to teach students, to reach students and, you know, how even things have changed, I guess, since you were in undergrad to, to now. Yeah, so I think there's a lot of conversations now um, that are coming to you know, action and fruition about how to bring more culture into the science classroom, how to bring more social justice into the science classroom as a, as a technique, as a curricular practice to, uh, in, increased recruitment and retention of scholars of color. Uh, science is, science is, it is this thing, it's this institution that has been around for so long and really was conceived without our, at least Western science in the process of, of inquiry, was conceived without our feedback. And when I say our, I'm a black woman um, so we were often, you know, the test subjects, but we didn't get to design the studies. And you find that in many fields of, of medicine and science and inquiry. And so now there's a point where, you know, it, it, there's an expectation that you know the story of Henrietta Lacks. There's an expectation that you know the story of the Tuskegee experiments. There's an expectation that, you know, space is made to not only have these conversations, but also to think about how to acknowledge the involuntary contributions of you know, our ancestors by making space in the present for not only black scholars, scholars of color in a physical sense, 
but also in a holistic sense by allowing them to bring their lived experiences and expertise into their inquiry process. I'm, I'm glad to hear uh, things are moving in that direction uh, to be more inclusive uh, when it comes to um, you know, the research and the science and, and all parties involved. Um, you, we definitely cannot gloss over the fact that you have a PhD in cancer biology, which I think is amazing. Um, and I don't, you may be one of, one of the only PhDs uh, that I've met um, uh, with your expertise in cancer biology. Can you expand a little bit on uh, your, your PhD studies and, and your, uh, uh, I'm sure you've had to obviously do a lot of work, you had to do your thesis, et cetera. Um, expand on that and, and let us know where we can find some of your, uh, your scholarly work and uh, <laughs> I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. That long, looks like it was about a seven year journey um <laughs> yeah. i have my, my doctorate long, as well <laughs> yeah we, we we know it's a it is a journey but yeah can you share a little bit more about that it's just so impressive yeah so you know i should have started off probably with an introduction right my name is Keelan bishop and i'm a scientist and that is that is who i am it is how i operate science is a process that i apply to the world that i apply to any work that i i choose to do and you know, at the moment, I'm not in a, a traditional setting that you might find where you might find a cancer biologist, but that's definitely where, where I started. So my uh, training in cancer biology actually started at Morgan State University. So started at my historically black college. Uh, I was a participant in two programs designed to increase the amount of, you know, PhD trained black scientists, scientists of color. Uh, one was called HBCU Up, was an NSF funded program, National Science Foundation. And the other was called Marcustar, which was an NIH National Institute of Health uh, found funded program. And both provided opportunities to conduct a biomedical science research at Morgan State. Uh, my first projects were more in like physiology uh, and then I ended up going the route because, you know, the mentor that, that I chose, the mentor that I matched with was in cancer. I ended up pursuing a cancer biology project. Now, I did a, a, a little play play research. And the reason that I call it that is because, you know, scientific research is, is an intense process. It takes a long time. It takes a lot of time. And undergrad as an undergraduate student I didn't necessarily dedicate all of the time necessary to advance certain things I did not have research aspirations that started and stopped at Morgan State University and so I was careful with my time in that I wasn't going to give 80 hours a week in the lab because I had other ways and other areas in which I needed and wanted to develop and my, my plan and what ended up happening was that I would pursue research full time uh, in graduate school. So when I finished at Morgan State, which was just so transformative and gave me so many experiences that made me competitive for graduate school, I went to the University of Miami and I was actually inducted into another fellowship program called the Initiative to Maximize Student Diversity, back to NSF funded uh, program. 
I think that's an NSF program. I would have to, to look back. So IMSD basically provided me two years of funding, uh, independent funding. I'm sorry, that is a National Institute of Health program. And um, it was designed to just facilitate a smooth transition into graduate school. Now, in some ways that worked and in some ways it didn't, but when I came to the university, I actually thought I wanted to be in pharmacology. There's this whole childhood story of mine where I told my mom, I wanna be a scientist. I wanna cure the world with drugs. And so, you know, I would have thought that I would be in like drug development. But when I started doing research rotations and when I started actually seeing what the work looked like and what the conversations in each field looked like, cancer biology was more of a fit. Uh, not only because of the relevance. I mean, so many of us have a family member who's been touched by cancer, um, but also because- Or friend, is, friend or family. Oh my goodness. Like yeah. just some someone in your life, right? Mm -hmm. Like even associates, like work colleagues, like it's, it's just this, this horrible disease or this collection of diseases that, you know, touch so many in, in negative ways. And so- there was that right that that draw because it's it's such a large problem um it's such a large taker of life but there was also this this attractive part about cancer where cancer has environmental and genetic influences and so you know there are cancers where you have a genetic predisposition if you have x gene then you will likely develop y cancer um but there are also just things about the ways that we live, work, and play that also influence our likelihood to develop, uh, you know, type, certain types of cancer. And so that attracted someone like me, who has always been interested in the way that the world worked and understanding how the world works, because it provided this opportunity to understand the science of the way that the world works as it relates to health. And that was just the very beginning That's of, awesome. of what it's been a, a long journey. So, you know, a lot of times it's funny because you said, well, you're one of the first PhDs that I've met with that expertise. To a lot of people, I'm the first PhD that they've met. To a lot of people, I'm the first scientist mm -hmm. that they've met. And, and, and maybe and maybe black, black scientists and maybe black female scientists. Uh, I, I mean, admit, you're so one of the only ones that I know. And I know a lot of people. <laughs> There's so many intersections. Like, how do you, you know, like, I can't pick one because there's just, there's so many ways in which an interaction with me uh, can be uh, so many firsts. And so um, I do take that as a responsibility. And I, I think that more people should um, to, you know, be kind of like a trusted messenger. If I'm the first scientist that you meet, you now have a connection to this whole world of understanding and inquiry. And you have it uh, through someone who shares, maybe not all, but some of your lived experience. And so, you know, my favorite conversations revolve around what that means, what that means for society, what that means for science. So uh, tell me, Keyline, what, what are we doing to diversify uh, this, this, the, the field? and have more, more folks like you, male and female, 
doing this important work and this important research. Uh, I love these programs that I've uh, heard you share from the National Science Foundation, from the National Institutes of Health, which is incredible, uh, both very reputable, uh, some of the most reputable, reputable organizations, um, science organizations, and to hear that they're investing in minorities like yourself with the grants and funding to do this research is awesome. Uh, what 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 else is is being done? Um, I guess beyond these organizations, and um, I guess you know, when it comes to these organizations, even today, what what's what are they doing? Are they um, helping to diversify the field and 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 um, you know continuing to kind of do what they did for you when it comes to these grants and funding? There there's definitely a continued commitment, and it's it, you know no no institution is perfect, especially those that were designed without us in mind. Um, but they are, they're definitely demonstrating a continued commitment, AKA funding dollars to uh, increasing diversity in the field. But, you know, this is that, this is a, a nuanced conversation because trying to fit multifaceted, um, diverse scientists into a system that was never designed to accommodate them is the life equivalent of trying to fit a square peg in a round hole and just trying to jam it in, jam it in, jam it in. If we just give you money, you can exist here, even if here is not conducive to your career or well-being. And so, you know, some of the conversations recently, um, conversations that, you know, are facilitated like people like, by people like Dr. Terrell Morton out of Mizzou are about how we create a system that actually uh, feeds or fuels or uh, enhances scholars of color who decide to pursue it instead of, of breaking us down in all of these ways. Um, and those are the, the budding efforts. There's a lot of efforts popping up now that acknowledge that you know these systems that exist are inherently biased toward people that are not the people whom uh, we're talking about. And so now you see efforts budding up that, you know, target all ages, all uh, stages, ages and stages in what some call a pipeline and others have evolved to a more sophisticated metaphor. So in elementary school, you'll see an emphasis on introducing students to professionals that are representative. So instead of is, having- Is that like career, is that like a pathways approach kind of? It's, it's, kind, it's kind of, it's, it's, really rep, it's really just at the, at the core when, when youth are really young, it's just representation. It's just giving them someone to go, I, that person looks like me, so I can do that. You have to see it to be it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, okay, and that's important. just where it starts. Because then becomes this dual, as scholars grow, there's this dual approach of we can spur interest, but you also have to have certain skills and proficiencies to excel in careers that now you're being introduced to. So there's an approach that's academic enrichment and making sure that a scholar's physical location or an underfunded school does not interfere with a goal that they set. And then the other end is continuing that introduction, continuing that pre, uh, uh, facilitation 
of you know introductions to role models and career exploration and getting a little bit more sophisticated in the discussion of what a career in science, technology, engineering, or math could look like. Um, I'm happy to be a part of one of these efforts in co-conceptualizing uh, the First Star National STEAM Academy, of which I serve as director. And it's a new virtual uh, college. Ooh, talk to us, share more, share more. That's awesome. Well, can you? So you're the. You're, you're, yeah, and so I, I and I see that, and that looks like that that happened this year, early this year. Uh, so that's one of your more recent achievements. Um, and can you can you share a little bit a little bit more about that? Yeah. So the first Star National Steam Academy was co conceptualized uh, by you know first star staff and board members last year, and some seed funders essentially to create space for scholars of color to think about and explore the future of work, these fields that are growing and present opportunities for advancement in college and career and life and socioeconomic standing, uh, but also to make space for scholars to explore those fields with a social justice lens. And so we are a program that actually targets a high school demographic. And our programming is designed to consistently highlight the intersections of science and social justice and social change. One of our most prolific speakers was Dr. Janina Jeff, who is a geneticist and also a host of a podcast called In Those Genes, where she talks about the ways in which we can build trust between the genetic science community and communities of color that it has historically disenfranchised and abused. And so, you know, those kind of speakers who, you know, have an identity as a black woman that already makes you, um, that already increases the likelihood that you would operate um, in a way that is non-conventional and conventional. Um, but also then the intentional discussion about what that has meant for your journey and your work and the way that you decide to pursue your work or advance causes um, is, is a really unique phase that I'm super excited to be a part of. But no, one thing that I, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no I'm sorry, I, I, I cut you off. Uh, go ahead, finish there. <laughs> no, sorry. so yeah. one thing that, you know, I'm really passionate about is making sure that we do not, that we do not concentrate and channel resources to the youth without thinking about the systems that they need to exist in as adults. And so, you know, without dual work, and this is, it's happening, but you know, these become the uncomfortable conversations. Without the coordinated conversations about what a life uh, or career might look like for a scholar of color who has participated in all of these programs, but then comes into a scientific world that is still where systemic racism and discrimination are still pervasive, where misogyny is still pervasive, where sexual harassment and academic medicine is super prevalent, um, you know, does a disservice to those youth. And so, now, you know, you have to talk about, yes, the pipeline efforts and the K-12 education and exposure and academic enrichment that's going to make it possible for them to become adults 
with uh, collegiate education and careers in science, technology, engineering, and math. But you also have to be real about the systems that are designed to make that space very uncomfortable, if not uh, completely exclusive um, and counterproductive to their advancement, and then have efforts that until we can destruct those systems, holistically support those scholars. So while I was hired as the director of the First Star National STEAM Academy, I am a co-founder of STEM Noir, which is a holistic wellness and research community and conference for Black women in science, technology, engineering, and math. So I'm really proud to kind of do work on both sides of the spectrum. Yeah, I was going to ask you about, uh, I mean, you're definitely all things STEM, Keelan. I love it. And I was going <laughs> to ask you to share a little bit more about um, uh, STEM Noir um, that you started a couple of years ago. Um, when is the next, uh, I guess, event for STEM Noir or conference? What, do we, what should we be looking, looking, paying attention to there? Yeah, so STEM Noir is actually a budding effort, and we are super proud to be hosting our inaugural conference on June 24th, uh, from June 24th to June 26th of this year. So it's June 24th to when? June 24th to the 26th. It Yay. is right around the corner. <laughs> Yay. So share, give, give us some details and share with our listeners how they can be a part of this conference and how they can uh, attend, join, uh, you know, listen in on sessions, all of that. Absolutely. So STEM Noir uh, has a website, stemnoir.org. If you visit stemnoir.org backslash stemnoir2021, uh, many of the details about our inaugural conference are there. It is a virtual conference this year, but will not be in the future. And, you know, we just take a multifaceted approach because Black women are nothing if not multifaceted. Uh, to what a career in STEM looks like, to, you know, talking about, yes, the science. We have about 40 research presentations across various fields that'll be happening across those three days. But also, what is the reality? That is amazing. <laughs> Thank you. But it's also, what is the reality of being a Black woman doing that work? So talking about, we have an amazing presentation on institutional harm, on affinity spaces as ways to foster well-being among Black women. Uh, we have, you know, talks that are focused on securing the bag, uh, branding, thinking beyond a life in wet lab. As I mentioned earlier, I transitioned from a wet lab to work research that I do now that I can do from the comfort of my home. And so we have so many uh, dynamic presentations in career advancement uh, in career exploration, professional development and wellness and also research. It's going to be a great time. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to it, and our listeners can go to the website that you shared and register on the site if they want to go. Absolutely. If they want to go more directly, it's stemnoir.org backslash register. <laughs> love it. Love it. Oh, man, I'm so looking forward to this. And, and you know, you mentioned affinity spaces, but I know we, we spoke recently about affinity groups. Um, what is, how, how important are these affinity spaces and affinity groups? I mean, this has come up, you know, a couple of times uh, in the last couple of weeks. Um, how, how important are, are they? And I guess their contribution to the, 
the the greater mission of um you know safe spaces more inclusiveness more diversity um you know us feeling more comfortable um mm -hmm. all of the above how, how what what are the what what are, are the affinity groups affinity spaces is it is it is it all hype is it you know are they effective i mean we're seeing more you know i have you know one myself and and, and technically you as well yes. um yeah so what, what do you what are your thoughts about these affinity groups and affinity spaces so affinity spaces i i would love to think that eventually we will live in a world where affinity spaces are not necessary and affinity spaces would not be necessary because we will not be working in environments where, as I mentioned earlier, systemic racism or discrimination or misogyny are prevalent. We'll be working in spaces where everybody shares this common goal of equity and inclusion. But until we get there, safe spaces are, are crucial. And I think the thing about affinity spaces in particular is it's as simple as a group of people with a shared goal, with some kind of similar background or interest, sure but really a group with a shared goal. We, you know, STEM Noir is an affinity group that focuses on wellness and career advancement for black women who pursue STEM, who are in STEM, who are interested in STEM. There are other affinity groups that focus on women who might wanna eventually transition to senior leadership. As you mentioned, you work with a group that is, you know, black men in technology. And these groups, just can cater to one or many aspects of a person's identity. But, you know, they are buffers in situations where you may not necessarily know if you can share certain aspects of yourself with everyone around you. There's a space where you can feel comfortable, you know, hopefully being your full self. And like I said, eventually, the hope would be that we live in a world that we work in places that institutions develop to a, a place where they are not designed um, or not continually catering to one demographic at the expense of another. But until we get there, like this is this is that crucial work in advancing diversity and advancing inclusion and in making sure that uh, people who are marginalized are not being asked to sacrifice themselves in those environments in the interest of diversity, equity, or inclusion. I love it. That's 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 a, a great response there. Um, and I, I couldn't agree more. I want to also now you your obviously research is what you do. Um, and you did a lot in order to get your PhD. And you're, that's what you do, you know, in your daily and, and you're continuing as a postdoctoral research associate uh, at the University of Miami in the School of Education and Human Development to do research that is super, super crucial and important and much needed. Um, can you, can you uh, expand a little bit about your postdoctoral uh, research associate position? And also, uh, I don't know if if any of your work uh, has uh, has has had anything to do with like the vaccine or you know uh, communities, you know marginalized communities and 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 underrepresented communities, uh, making sure that 
you know, that he get vaccinated or at least have the proper information when it comes to this vaccine. But I would also like to hear uh, your thoughts on that as well. Uh, like I said, I don't know if your work has anything to do with that, but can you can you can you expand a little bit about your uh, postdoctoral research work? Yeah, so um, I've transitioned and, you know, my research training has been unconventional in the sense that I started in a wet lab doing cancer biology research. I was very molecular in nature. I wanted to understand the role of a particular gene in cancer progression. And that looked like a lot of mouse work, a lot of dissections, a lot of really technical procedures like flow cytometry. And it evolved to an interest in to understand systems. And I started by wanting to understand this educational system in which I had pursued my, my doctoral degree. And so I just finished uh, a stint, or I'm finishing a stint as, as a postdoctoral associate in a school, in the school of University of Miami School of Education and Human Development. And I've been working with the dean of that school, Dr. Laura Conewood, who is a, a community psychologist, uh, to understand the complicated, complex role of community-based organizations in resolving health equity, uh, sorry, resolving educational equities, which are technically, uh, sorry, educational disparities, which are technically health disparities among scholars of color, especially in this context of, of COVID-19. And now I'm kind of merging in my next postdoctoral position, the very technical cancer biology training that I have and the uh, experience that I've gained in qualitative research to ask and answer some questions around other social factors that impact health outcomes, specifically cancer outcomes, specifically uh, cancer outcomes that have a disproportionately negative effect on communities of color. The interesting parallel between COVID-19 and cancer is that when uh, we began dealing with the pandemic, you know, what the data that very rapidly emerged that we didn't talk about much is that the rate of infection was a lot higher in communities of color. And there were a lot of reasons for that. But even once we had the vaccine, the vaccine was slower to be uh, adopted in a widespread manner in communities of color. Part of that has to do with vaccine access and access to care, healthcare in general. The other part is much you know, understood apprehension toward medical systems and medical science and health systems. Uh, by communities of color because of abuses like we talked about earlier, like the Tuskegee experiment, because, you know, there are plenty of communities who have never felt valued by health and medicine. And so there's no trust there. And so there are, are plenty of statistics about how not only were deaths among, you know, racialized minority groups higher than our white counterparts, but also how, like I said, we've been slower to be vaccinated, which means that our journey through the COVID-19 pandemic will not end as soon as we would all like it to. And you know, right now where it's, you know, mandates are being lifted, uh, it's very easy to just go, okay, great, we're, we're back to regular life. 
but we forget the hundreds of thousands of lives um, that have been lost to COVID-19 and the fact that back, the return to normal, quote unquote, normal life without vaccination is just going to result in, in more death and in, in more of someone losing a family member. Uh, and so, you know, the not necessarily, none of my work really centers the, the COVID-19 vaccine in particular, but one thing that I am passionate about and spoke to earlier was the importance of, you know, Black scientists being visible because we, we are trusted messengers to our community. Uh, we have the affinity or the, to both groups, you know, both the scientific community and the black community or you know, other scholars of color might have a, a relations to their community that allow them to serve as trusted messengers. And so then I can call my parents and my parents were apprehensive about getting the vaccine at first and say, no, 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 we are getting vaccinated. And now you know, me and mine are all taken care of. My friends who have questions or colleagues who associates who have questions about the science of the vaccine or other you know, conspiracy theories that are floating around like, oh, if I get the vaccine, I can't have kids um, so that we, I can debunk those so that we can debunk those, my other scientific colleagues and I. And so, you know, that, that access um, and that, that work is crucial to me because it provides an opportunity for us to start. I mean, and it's, a, it's gonna be a long process, but to play a small part um, in, in starting to rebuild that trust or continuing the work, I should say, of rebuilding that trust so that we can resolve the disparities and not only you know, COVID-19 diagnoses and, and deaths, but also in other disparities like the ones that we see in cancer and pretty much every chronic disease. Elon, you are such an inspiration. Uh, I feel honored and glad to know you and, and call you friend. Uh, I know that all of our listeners are gonna be extremely inspired by hearing everything that you shared with us uh, during, this, during this episode today. Um, don't wanna let you go. <laughs> but, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and um, get ready to uh, let you let you resume whatever else you have to do. I know you're you're very busy and I appreciate you, you your time stopping by our podcast today. I um, want to give you an opportunity to share uh, before we wrap up. How can our listeners uh, follow you, find you, uh, get in touch with you? You know, what's the best way if you want to share uh, your, you know, your social media, your websites, any of that, please do that. So our listeners can uh, can keep up with you, and this is just uh, just a uh, I, I wanted to kind of expand on the HBCU experience uh, earlier, but it's fine. We had we had so much to talk about, but I do want to just also before we get off, um, what when it comes to the HBCU experience, Morgan State sounds like an, it is an incredible university. You talk, said, talked about their incredible program. Um, if you had it to do, I shouldn't say if you had to do it all over again, but um, why should a young scientist that, you know, uh, a young Keylon or a young scientist who's, who's 
you know, interested in um, the field, why should they go to, you know, Morgan State or a HBCU um, as opposed to, you know, maybe a, you know, a traditional uh, white institution or um, private institution, uh, you know, yeah. traditional, historically, you know, private white institution. Why, why would a HBCU be a, before you go, be um, a, um, maybe a better option, you know, or a good option for someone who wants to pursue a, a similar career path? Absolutely. So first of all, we have so many uh, built in uh, societally, you know, fueled like notions about higher education. So, you know, had you asked me when I was younger, uh, I would have told you that I was going to Harvard. I actually was influenced to attend and consider a historically black college by an aunt of mine. And like, I just, I like can't to this day, can't thank her enough. When you are in college, you want to go somewhere where you can develop academically, but more than anything, undergrad is a, is a space to develop personally. And in a, when, you're, when you know that you are gonna go into a world that does not as a whole value you or the people who look like you or your contributions to society or your existence, and like, why would you not go to a microchasm where you can figure out who you are around other people who do value you? And so, you know, you look at, if you look at the, the rankings for top colleges and universities in the United States, it's very often, it's not uncommon to not see any historic black colleges and universities. But those lists do not consider uh, metrics of success that our schools excel in. Morgan is one of the top five institutions in the country graduating African-American engineers and the largest producer of African-American engineers in the state of Maryland. Literally, Morgan State produces more African-American scientists and engineers than any other college or university in the state of Maryland. That is not something to sneeze at. That is not something that but it's also not something that would translate necessarily to, you know, a top 10 list of post-secondary education institutions. And so I always hail Morgan as a place that, yes, I was able to, you know, get my education and earn my bachelor's of science degree in biology. But I also hail Morgan as a place where I hashed out many of the values that I espouse today that I was able to come into adulthood with a sense of purpose and also a network of people whom, you know, I don't see much anymore, but we're still cheering each other on as we persist and try to drive change in our various sectors. And it's not always this versus that. I'm not saying that because if you don't go to a historically black college, you won't have that same network or you won't have a chance to come into yourself. But what I am saying is that historically black colleges and universities have a unique value that we do not necessarily always uplift the same way that we uplift some of the ills. I would not be who I am without Morgan State University, period. I would not be who I am academically 
without the University of Miami. Different statements. With that, Keelan, tell our listeners how they can follow you, where they can find you, uh, and how they can attend this conference before we wrap up. Yeah, so um, like I said, my name is Keelan Bishop and my website is on brand. So you can find me and more information about the work that I do at keelanbishop.com. You will find links to the First Star National STEAM Academy and to STEM Noir under the work tab on my website. If you'd like to get in contact, there is a contact me form on my website. I very much believe in streamlining. Uh, if you're interested in STEM Noir directly, please, I encourage you to just look through our Instagram. I think it's a really good representation of what we do year round. And then once you're there and you're like, oh, I can vibe with this, then you can check us out at stemnoir.org backslash STEM Noir 2021. Check out the agenda for the conference. Our speaker lineup is insane. And from there, you know, hopefully you register. There are opportunities for financial assistance. We have so many sponsors and donors who have just bought tickets and said, if you run across talented Black women in STEM, sponsor their attendance. So reach out and, you know, we'd be happy to help. All right, folks, there you have it. Thank you so much, Keelan, for coming on. We will be keeping in touch and following all of your incredible, great work. Thank you, everyone, for uh, listening to another episode of the Ed Up Edge STEM podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Tamonte Leary, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. You've been listening to another episode of Ed Up Edge, the STEM edition with your host, Dr. Tamonte Leary. You can follow me on LinkedIn and please leave a rating review and subscribe to be notified of future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening.